1: And I think that drives people mad. It drives managers mad. It drives candidates really mad around who do we believe. And that's why many people don't trust compensation, right? And it goes back to, hey, what is our philosophy and our strategy? And really define, this is the data we use. And this is how we think about establishment of our salary and equity bands. And we do it in a fair and a consistent way.
0: Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast, brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. This episode features a conversation with Tan Nguyen, founder and CEO at OpenComp, and Cyrus F., general manager and senior vice president at Hatch Labs, that does a deep exploration of compensation for engineering organizations. They cover where to start with your compensation strategy, how to create consistency and transparency in compensation, how to think about diversity, equity, and inclusion proactively, how to consider geography in your comp strategy, and how to compete on compensation and equity in the early stages of your company. Enjoy our conversation with Tan Nguyen and Cyrus F. Tan, Cyrus, welcome both of you. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank
2: you so much. Thank you, Patrick. Take it away. Ton, this is great, man. I'm really, really excited to have the opportunity here to speak with you. And, you know, the topic of of compensation, I mean, there's so many facets to it, right? And you obviously have a, a tremendous amount of experience here in the space, whether it's partnering with founders, investors, companies, small and large. And, you know, myself having, you know, sort of tried to understand this and ramp up on this over the last couple of years, you know, really want to understand there's, the All the different areas, right, when it comes to comp, whether it's salary, bonus, equity, benefits, you know, kicking off a new startup here, you got to have a plan. And I think understanding what it means to, to create a plan there, you know, where do I begin? Like, what, what's, the, what's the right approach here? What are the first steps?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think one of the biggest things that I've always talked about over the years is outside of just, you know, paying more or less or how you're paying to market and what you're defining to market. It's, It's really a common theme of trying to be consistent. And consistency is not the notion of paying everybody the same, but how do we get to a program where we can share that we have a consistent approach in how we bring people into the organization from a comp and equity perspective. Now, you know how do we how, how do we start thinking about that? I mean, look, I think one of the biggest things is planning. I really try to focus on doubling down in that planning area, especially now with uh, distributed workforces. You've got to understand who's being impacted, really, because it n- may not necessarily be your whole product and engineering team, right? You know what roles where and bringing in your partners. I mean, your talent partners, even your finance partners, are going to be critical in spending a lot of time developing that hiring plan out. Because when you do the work in establishing, whether it's cities or thinking about regional talent areas that you try to hire a lot of folks in, that's critical in establishing a consistent pay structure and a pay philosophy. And, you know, all those inputs from your, your recruitment team around talent and what type of talent is important as it relates to the overall development of how you're going to mark your pay for those roles. And I think the other thing is when we're talking about this, you know, you have to be very cognizant about when you're opening up the, 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 the remote aspect, how's this going to impact your current team, right? Have you addressed how you're going to handle the normalization if somebody's moving from a high, you know, pay market to a lower pay market? And, you know, we're seeing a lot of of companies make those determinations, where, you know, I I think there are few companies out there that can say, hey, we're just going to pay based on Bay Area rates, and that's going to be our standard. I mean, if you can do that, that's, you know, obviously, it becomes, you're much more competitive from from that dollar and equity perspective. But I think most companies are not going to be able to do that. So when you think about that, what is the strategy when you normalize somebody? And it could be, you know, time-based and then maybe an offsetting uh, bonus when they are normalized. So, you know, they can kind of phase into that. But those are all important aspects. And you got to have those discussions well in advance before you kind of say, hey, we're, we're, we're going remote. Let's go figure out where the best talent is.
2: Right. And, and with regards to that, I mean, you have the different geos, right? It's trying to understand the talent. And as part of that plan, how do you look for you know, consistency in terms of the pay, right? Consistency in terms of thinking about those bands?
1: Well, I mean, look, when, especially you know, in the comp space, in the comp game, it, you, know, you, you really got to get to the data, whether it's data coming from recruitment. I think there are a lot of uh, folks here that know about Radford, they know about Probably our own data set and option driver or option impact, whatever you determine to use, I think you got to make sure that you're using the right data set. And that data set obviously is heavily influenced on the stage. And the industry and the geo, and and believe it or not, we still get a lot of, of customers or prospects coming in saying, "Hey, we we're just using data base solely based on the our recruiting efforts, or just kind of this data set that somebody provided uh, us, or we're just looking at self-reported data, and they're basing their strategies off of that, right? And I think that's a you know that's a kind of a troublesome methodology because you really want to be thoughtful about defining that because that definition leads you into really getting your pay philosophy established and that's simply your market positioning strategy and you know how you're going to set up your your cash versus equity bands, right? And those are really the groundworks for scale, right? When you think about again, if we're pushing this out to geos and having our baseline, how do we get to establishing of those pay bands and equity ends for the varying levels of of expertise for our employees?
2: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned data there, and just being well informed. I mean, that was something I know we spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out. How do we make sure we've got the right data? And, and certainly, we started out trying to be globally distributed. And of course, you know, the events of the past year has kind of accelerated that, that adoption. And so really understanding what are the, you know, you mentioned Radford, right, I think is obviously one people are familiar with, you know, serendipitously, we got introduced to Open Comp, and it was just really helpful to have it not only as another data set, but as a way to model and help with that planning. As part of the planning, and now that you have sort of the data set, tell me a little bit just in terms of the compensation transparency, right? So if I'm gathering the data now, what is my responsibility to make sure that I'm transparent with it? And what does that exactly mean sort of within the company? yeah
1: I, this is this happens all the time, or this comes up all the time. Like transparency to some is, hey, we should be showing you know base salaries and equities for everybody in the organization. Now, we don't believe that's probably the best best use uh, of of data. I think you know when we talk about transparency, it's around the ability to transparently talk about your programs and your strategy, right? You have to be able to get to a point where you can communicate your overarching philosophy that ultimately links to the programs that you're going to deliver, right? Whether it's the merit cycle, the promo, refresh, performance cycles, they have to be thoughtfully communicated to your employees. And more importantly, those are the actual drivers that support what's been planned from a a finance and a burn and a dilution perspective, right? So when you think about going off and building out a comp strategy and not having uh, all that groundwork laid, laid forth, you really can't be transparent, right? And transparency again is not, you know, so-and-so makes X, Y, Z and I make this, right? And I think that's really troubling for, for companies that try to, try to, try to do that.
2: Yeah. And, and again, going back, I mean, it, it, it requires that you have an informed plan, right? And you have that data. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and homework, so to speak, done ahead of time. You know, in the in a couple talks back, I think it was Regini, you know, when they, they were talking about DEI, how do you think about DEI so that it's not an afterthought, right? So where we're thinking about it as part of the strategy and not trying to apply that at the end where it's, you know, obviously not going to work.
1: Regini hit hit it right on the head in terms of it, it takes everybody to to deal with this. But I think from a from a excuse me from a data perspective, you know, I I think with certainly with compensation and and kind of dealing with that, we need to try to get tactical and and develop the analysis right that that supports information for your hiring managers, for your recruiters, and for the organization, so they can actually measure you know their own kind of composition and their own understanding of of gender and pay. And I think. You know, a lot of times when we're trying to do these programs and there's questions on how to address it, I've asked our customers, you know, have you gone through the process of analyzing your pay as it relates to gender and and diversity? And most of them haven't, to be quite honest with you. So if, if you don't know what you're doing, it's hard to actually activate change, right? Because what you want to do is establish at least a baseline and show a way to change over time. Now, you know, there's a lot that goes into that process. It's the attraction of of those diverse candidates, but it's also more importantly the retention of those candidates as they stay and develop their career in the organization. But you know, from a getting analysis, that's a that's a huge piece of evoking some some major change in this area because you know we have customers that are using our d tool and analysis at that recruiting level, right? So they can inform and now bring knowledge to the recruitment team as it relates to you know, departments that they're recruiting for, and they start to understand the gaps. And that's an open now conversation with hiring managers that is tangible. And they've got numbers behind it. They know how they're paying within these categories. They know what the deltas are. Now it's their, their opportunity to use that information to act on it and use other programs and other providers to support you know, that top of the funnel. And then everything else goes behind it in terms of making sure that those individuals get hired and, and are integrated and are successful in their, their cycles with the company.
2: Yeah, I mean, being objective is, is so important, so that you are basing it on something, right? That's concrete, and then being able to to be consistent with that. You know, obviously, in in the technology space, it's it's highly competitive, right? And there's there's certainly the mission of a company that that obviously attracts talent. But if you're getting, you know, if you're starting out and you're trying to get those first few hires in, right? That first, you know, engineer. You know, do I overpay for an engineer, right? Do I do I increase an in equity? Like, what is what is it that I'm running into, right? And the challenge is there if I take a misstep right out the gate. Yeah, look,
1: I wouldn't say it's it's necessarily a misstep, but I think it's acknowledgement that you're going to have to make some major trade-offs sometimes. And most of the times, especially in the earlier stages, I think, you know, even for us, we're growing our engine product team. And one of the the, the core things that we've tried to do before really set off was to establish, again, going back to taking the data and building what was optimal for us from a finance perspective on how we wanted to use our capital and kind of our dilution goals as well, and really kind of map that out, right? So you're trying to somewhat solve for talent and what you're going to face and the demands on the talent aspect. And then you're going to try to solve for the bottoms up of your affordability. And at some point they're going to meet, right? And that's where the planning and developing ultimately your salary brands that make sense for you, whether it's in you know headquarters or the geos that you're going to hire into, right? Once you start to do that, you, you're you better informed on the trade-offs you're willing to make for the different types of skills that you want to bring in at certain times. So, I mean, the most important thing that we, we talk to our customers about is, look, when you're making those heavy trade-offs, don't let those exceptions be the norm because there are a lot of folks that are moving really quickly and they're using this kind of previous hire comp strategy. Well, we hired somebody previously at this rate, so it's probably, you know, we could probably do it again. And if you're not careful, you look back and you've got a really distributed, inconsistent pay strategy and equity. And then you've got to do a lot to clean up that, right? But again, It goes back to what we've been talking about, getting solid planning, getting great data and starting to develop that philosophy and that structure. Because we all know that there's going to be a lot of opportunities for your candidates to get paid more or take on more equity or more dollar value equity, et cetera. I think it's just really important to have have knowledge and have a structure that says, look, most of your hiring is going to be comprised within the the standard bands that you feel comfortable with as it relates to where you're at in your business.
0: Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community.com. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community.
2: So having having a plan consistency is key, but understanding there's going to be some agility there along the way. But that consistent mindset so that you don't end up with something that now you have bands and, and folks you know out of band all over the place. So then add, add in for me the, the geography. Right. I mean the Bay Area obviously is competitive and you have all these different markets in the US and then now you expand it, you know, globally. You know, how should we think about geography when, when it comes to hiring? Like what's what's the focus that, that one should be mindful of?
1: Yeah, I, I think Look uh, again. We're facing this. We we just recently hired somebody that they're in South Carolina, right? And he he actually told me that he's thinking about moving to New York, right? So like that's great. We uh, we think he's he he's fantastic. But you know the implications of that now are we've got to set up a South Carolina entity, and then the New York entity probably post that, and that New York entity could be three months away so what are we going to do during these waiting periods so i think there are these other implications and we talk about this kind of you and i previously talked about this this notion of the the iceberg you know you've got comp that's really clear and you've got uh, equity there but you know when you're planning this out at scale you've got all these other operational needs and i and i think for us even you know, when you think about uh, a company at our stage, which is less than 25 folks, I'm still using kind of contracting ops support, right, from finance, etc. So, if you're if we're going to move to 10 states pretty quickly, that's pretty onerous, and there's a big cost to setting all of that up for our folks. And I think we got to be mindful about how that could potentially slow down and. Uh, really kind of the engagement of that employee if we're not effectively set up to onboard those people in those regions, right? And that's where I think when you're thinking about doing or establishing these plans, having more regionalized hiring goals is pretty appropriate, I think, because it allows you to develop these these structures that are really focused on kind of those labor markets. And we don't want to have a situation where, you're trying to price out every specific job, right? Or every specific job in each location. Because I think, A, it might just not be that effective for you. The delta between pay might not be that that much of a save, quite frankly, given all the operational load that you're going to take on to do that. And we've seen companies do that. And that that has been their feedback. It's just like... Hey, we're we're really gonna try to rethink this and reassociate and build those bands back to a, a model that we can really scale with,
2: right? Yeah, I mean that's so true, right? I mean one of the things we we encountered is just trying to understand the various markets, just the legalities of it, right? And so you kind of initially you're thinking comp, you know, in terms of budget, hey, it might be a little bit more cost effective to target these these regions, and then you know there's an added sort of wrinkle of oh, you know, candidates have to give you know advance notice of two months. And so now all of a sudden there's a timing aspect of it as well that folks sometimes don't realize. I guess briefly tell me, you know, in terms of a, a PEO, so a professional employer org, how does that, fat, you know, do, are there considerations there when thinking about comp and then bringing on somebody external to help as part of the hiring?
1: Yeah, it's actually pretty critical. I mean, when if you've got, for example, a, a long period before you can actually hire somebody, and we all know this in the hiring process, that the more that you have to interject time, there's more risk in, in losing that candidate, right? So you want them to get started with your organization as soon as possible. But if you're waiting on an entity to, to start somebody, now you have to really think about having a, you know, a PEO of sorts to hire that person on. Some people would say, hey, let's just put them on as a contractor, a 1099. But there are implications with that as it relates to the EDD and, and states flagging whether you're a 1099 and a W-2 employee in the same year. And you get enough of those, you're going to have to go through an audit, right? And when you think about those implications on those audits, and not to get too much of a a scare tack on this, but that takes a lot of time away from what you need to be doing and the resources that are redirected. So, uh, again, the sooner you can get your head around where you're going to hire, you can start to plan for all the subsequent resources that ultimately lead to that individual or that employee coming on and onboarding and having a a very streamlined process with you. Because we're facing the same thing right now, right? And, you know, we have the luxuries of seeing a lot of this data and talking to a lot of folks. But yet we're, we're facing similar situations in terms of trying to move really quickly and trying to hire folks in the same way most of our audience is, is doing as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. Coming, coming back to, you know, if, if you've now kind of established... Right? you you kind of have your geos established. you started to scale a team. You know w- one of the things I'm encountering now is just thinking about the market gaps with the exi- existing employee base. and so what are the what are the areas there that I need to think about once you've kind of established? You got your geos and then looking at, oh, you know what? things are shifting. or as you've mentioned before, folks want to move you know South Carolina to New York.
1: Yeah, and I think you know there's, when, you, when you're dealing with existing employees, you you could have some very compounding effects, depending on how you're pay, paying them to date. If, they're, if you feel like they're currently uh, performing really well or they're exceptional and we feel like we're paying them well below market already, but then they determine that they're going to move right to a different market that has either a higher or a lower you know, pay structure then you've got to make those decisions fairly quickly right and you've got to come up with those actions to shore up your employee issue there and you know the best way to really solve for that is to do a competitive analysis on your against your ranges or against your market data that you're using so you can get ahead of what that cost would be so you can apply those market adjustments where appropriate now the reality is you might not be able to solve all your gaps in pay, but you want to start thinking about the, the, the performers that you need to address as a priority, right? So that's absolutely very critical as you open this up because your employees are are going to look towards those locations and, you know, maybe want to move there and you're going to have to address them
2: fairly immediately. So making sure you constantly have that data, that feedback loop, that's always informing. Let's see. I think, Patrick, sounds like we got a couple of questions.
0: So one question that came in from Michael, it seems that employers and employees often use different sources for compensation data. Yeah. Have you encountered issues with this misalignment of candidate expectations in the role in and what would you recommend to minimize the difference in expectations of, of compensation? Yeah, I mean, there, th- that is one of the biggest problems, right? I think,
1: like, simply when you, when you let, let's just bring up Radford, for example. We've got a lot of early stage companies using Radford, and there's, like, varying surveys, right? And we're trying to educate our customers on, like, hey, you know, the equity data that's being represented in their global survey is based on public company data now is that you know appropriate to use for a company that is a series a or series b so this is part of the discussion and this is part of the training that needs to be had with talent and managers as well because you've got to be able to catch this because there's just so much there's just a lot of myths around data or you know just simply the notion of Hey, basis points. I've got this many in basis points for this company, and I've got 20,000 shares here. I believe it's worth this. I don't believe it's worth this. And I think that drives people mad. It drives managers mad. It drives candidates really mad around who do we believe? And that's why many people don't trust compensation, right? And it goes back to hey, what is our philosophy and our strategy? And really define, this is the data we use. This is where this is coming from. This is our market positioning strategy. And this is how we think about establishment of our salary and equity bands. And we do it in a fair and a consistent way. And if you're able to have those, I think you're able to cut off a lot of these preconceived or myths out there around this equity package is worth more than that right because it, we all know that you know it's all notional value anyways until you get to a point where the company really does have le- legitimate enterprise value and you can actually see that head towards a you know an exit
0: thank you and and what, one final question because i think earlier today we we had a couple folks share two sort of competing trends around the future of, of compensation. And, and so it's it's sort of this dilemma between localized versus like globally normalized compensation. And I, I, don't think I, I don't think the question is which one should people do, but rather I'm curious to learn how would you help somebody arrive at a decision that's right for them to determine what their strategy is for localized compensation versus globally normalized. Is there a certain framework or approach that you would help people come to the conclusion for like what's what's the best approach for them?
1: Yeah, I I really believe we we somewhat talked about this. There's the, you know, operating and running the business, right? Cuz we all have to operate under an an operating plan, a budget of sorts. And then there's the talent, right? So that's going to ultimately come together as we talked about. And I think when you start to 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 say, "Hey, we're going to have a global strategy," And that global strategy is going to be based on this set of data or market principles. And you're going to run that out in terms of your modeling, which you should, because that's how you're going to build out your your financial plan. And you're going to understand if there's going to be pressure on your abilities to do that. And based on what you are establishing there, the real test is from the recruitment aspect, is there going to be... The ability to hire, or are you going to ultimately win or lose, and 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 also, you know, from the the current employee perspective, are you retaining your staff, and that's just not from the standpoint of comp, but it has an input in input into that, right? So I think you have to do the 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 workup on both ends and test that because that's going to ultimately help you back solve. The, the right approach, because it's got to fit both models successfully, right? To assume that you're going to go off and, and set a plan and not have it within your financial envelope, I think that probably wouldn't work out very well from a board and uh, investor or shareholder perspective.
0: Thank you. Tan, Cyrus, thank you both so much for your time. That's all the time that we have for, for questions. This has been an incredible exploration around compensation. I've learned so much that I was, wasn't even on my radar to consider around it building out our team. And so thank you both so much for generating really important insights for our community. Thank you. Thanks as well. We'd like to give a special thanks to Mesmer, the exclusive accessibility partner of the Engineering Leadership Podcast. Mesmer's AI bots automate mobile app accessibility testing to ensure your app is always accessible to everybody. To jumpstart your accessibility and inclusion initiative, visit mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. You can also follow the link in our show notes. That's mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. Or you can also follow the link in our show notes. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.